Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a message to the cloud naysayers from the Army CIO. Well, guess what? We've already shown that we can now move these tactical applications to the cloud in forward deployed locations in the hands of the warfighter now, today. That's real. And the who's who in stakeholders to do cyber right. It's going to require in some ways, you know, kind of breaking down of those silos between different organizational teams, whether it's your business process owners, or your developers, or your security folks, or your IT operations, dot, 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 that list will go on and on. It's Friday, April 22nd, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Defense Innovation Unit has a new office. DIU opened its Chicago location Thursday. DIU will share space in the Discovery Partners Institute in downtown Chicago. That building also hosts the National Security Innovation Network, the Army's 75th Innovation Command, and an office of the Army Research Laboratory. The Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service says it's, quote, virtually impossible to modernize the agency's information technology because of continuing resolutions. Charles Reddick tells the House Oversight and Reform Government Operations Subcommittee the uncertainty of, quote, start-stop funding is partly responsible for a backlog of more than 5 million paper returns. IRS leaders say the pandemics contributed to the backlog, too. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. IT leaders from CISA and HHS headline the Government Innovation Strategy and Technology Conference coming May 19th. It's at the International Spy Museum in downtown D.C. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Army will use commercial clouds to push computing to its edge, according to its chief information officer. At the VMware Public Sector Innovation Summit, Raj Iyer says the competitive landscape in the world dictates innovation and flexibility. Quite frankly, if you look at the pacing threat, and to us that's China, for this decade and the next, clearly we're dealing with an adversary that's highly sophisticated and and and, and technologically advanced. And so as great as the United States Army is with how we fought at, at the BCT level, Brigade Combat Team level, is, is, is not what's going to help us win. We're going to have to, for us to achieve strategic deterrence, it's going to be through technology and for us to be able to decisively win in large-scale combat operation. And some of that is already starting to play out today in Europe, and, and you're, you're witnessing that. You're seeing how you know, we're fighting information warfare and how well we've been able to get ahead of that against the Russians. We're able to see how data is actually informing a lot of decision-making at Echelon, not just the support that the Army is providing to the Ukrainians, but the Ukrainians themselves. And so, and then we, all, we, saw about, we saw how Starlink is actually tremendously helping establish a communications network in an environment that we thought would be degraded on day one, right? Day one. And, and that's, that's, that's how we're operationalizing this technology today already. So as much as we are postured to establish the strategic deterrence for the long term, we're not waiting. Tomorrow's war is today. And so if we don't, if we don't operationalize this and we don't bring these technologies to the fight today, we'll know that there's not a tomorrow. So that is the imperative. That is what I'm tasked with as a CIO in terms of you know, establishing 
the right transformation to achieve that digital overmatch uh, for the United States Army for the future. So what I'm going to do here is, uh, let's see if this works. I, got, I only have one slide. Right? So what I want to talk about here is what does multi-cloud mean for us and why, why are we doing this? I'm going to get a little geeky here. So, um, so a year and a half ago, we established C-Army as our cloud ecosystem um, to, you know, to essentially bring together um, at scale, highly resilient storage and compute globally for our warfighters. And for us, cloud is not just another place to go host applications. We, yes, we do that. We do that pretty well, but quite frankly, based on the conversation we just had, it's become very clear to us that cloud for us is our new warfighting platform. You heard that right. Cloud is a warfighting platform. And the data that flows through that for decision making and how we're using that to connect sensors to, sensors to shooter, that data is now our new ammunition. So that is, a, that is, that is how the Army is transforming digitally today. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that our traditional weapon system platforms are going away anywhere. No, we're not. Right? In fact, we're continuing to modernize and we're, we're building you know, new platforms like long-range hypersonics, next-generation combat vehicle, future vertical lift, all of these wonderful new platforms that are coming through the pipeline over the next 10 years. However, what we've come to recognize is that our strategic advantage is truly by connecting data across all of these weapon system platforms, getting that as fast as we can to the tactical edge and in the hands of the commander and the soldier for decision making. And if we can do that, that's how we're going to achieve that strategic digital overmatch. So when we set up this, so this is the vision. We're, we're on different pieces of this long-term architecture. Um, and, and you can see that this is kind of like a four-tiered architecture. So the first tier is really about establishing CONUS commercial cloud capability. So we did that last year. And, um, and so we're, we're working with several of the hyperscalers today to establish um, you know, IL-2, IL-5, and IL-6 um, cloud, commercial cloud environments. That's up and running. We've done a great job migrating some of our most complex mission-critical applications to the cloud, including our three SAP ERP systems. Everybody said you couldn't do it. We did, right? So, so we know we can do that. We know we can move applications. What we also learned along the way is that, well, you don't just move applications. You got to make sure you get to cloud-native architectures right from the get-go and make sure you're truly taking advantage of what the cloud offers. And so the journey that we're on now is DevSecOps. And so we've recognized that through DevSecOps, not only can we get to a secure application, but the fact that we can get that in the hands of the soldier rapidly. And we're talking days and weeks and not months and years. And so that, again, is a huge transformation in terms of you know, how we get applications in the hands of real users quickly and in small chunks, in micro applications and, micro, you know, and, and smaller bits and pieces um, you know, for, you, you know, to meet specific use cases. So that's critical. Also critical to us as part of this architecture is integrating our on-premise data centers. So many of you know this, I've said this before, the Army has over 300 data centers today. 300. This is not a model that we can sustain in the future. And so, so I have called for a, for, a, for a draconian drastic reduction of about 50% of those data centers. And, and, and then there's about 12 what we call enduring data centers, and we want to reduce that to six. This is our global footprint for compute and store all the way from here in the corners to O'Connor's. And so when we get down to a smaller number of data centers, the plan is to turn these into 
you know, private clouds. We're not there today. The, each of these data centers are siloed. They have you know, legacy uh, architectures and legacy infrastructure in there and, and poorly networked. But if we truly believe in hybrid cloud, and we do, then we got to make sure that we are integrating um, these on-premise compute and store resources with our commercial cloud so that we have one integrated um, architecture. So you'll also see that this extends now to our oak owners. So here's our tier two. Our tier two is you know, establishing compute and store um, oak owners locations. And, and this, one, this one's a tricky one, because as much as we want to leverage commercial cloud uh, outside the United States, the problem with data sovereignty rules prevent us from establishing or actually leveraging true commercial capability. So if we cannot do that, and by the way, it won't be in my lifetime before I can change those laws in Congress, but we can try. We need all of you to help try that too, right? I think we're, we're stuck in this old mentality of saying somehow you know, we have to have data on, on soil on US soil, well, you know, in the digital world, that, that no longer applies. But, but yet that's how you know, some of our laws are. But anyway, set that aside. You know, it's important for us to build similar uh, capacity OCONUS. And so what we're doing there is taking our data centers in Germany, Japan, Europe, um, and in the Middle East, and then establishing them as extensions of our Sea Army cloud in those OCONUS regions. So, um, so again, tremendous opportunity there for us to work with industry to establish those. And then when you look at the tier three, the tier three is really now where we start to get into what I call the tactical edge, right? And, and so, so here's when you, know, you are now at a forward deployed location. Um, by the way, that could be Poland. In fact, we're doing that already today. Um, when the 82nd Airborne forward deployed to Poland in support of Ukraine, guess what's in there? We got Leo Mio and we got Cloud. Right? So like I said, we're operationalizing this today. And, and so, so that is to us is where the tactical edge starts. And it's really important for us to now leverage you know, small form factor, um, compute and store at that edge to be able to provide um, compute capacity um, you know, for all kinds of mission command type applications at the edge. And, and so, so that's, now when you do that, one of the things that we have to acknowledge right up front is we're gonna be in a highly contested um, environment. We're not gonna have the bandwidth that we need. It's gonna be intermittent. It's gonna be um, um, contested. And, and, and when that happens, your transport now becomes a problem, right? So, so we can't really solve this cloud problem, this multi-cloud problem, unless we also address the transport issues. The Chief Information Officer of the Army, Raj Iyer, at the VMware Public Sector Innovation Summit Another highlight from his presentation in a moment, and you can find a link to watch the video of his entire presentation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast, coming on Monday's show, the digital transformation at the Defense Logistics Agency. Daryl Roberts of DLA has a six-month check-in on Monday's Daily Scoop Podcast. That show debuts Monday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. More now from Army CIO Raj Iyer at the VMware Public Sector Innovation Summit. In this highlight of his presentation, he describes what industry's done for the military and what he liked more of. So here's where I think what commercial industry has done, the cloud service providers have done, is a tremendous partnership um, you know, with Leo and Mio providers, and, and you'll see some of them called out here. And, and, and so that integration of that transport and that backhaul back to... 
um, more reliable transport using satellite communications is a game changer. And again, I mentioned, you know, most recent success with Starlink. That is the model, and that is the model for the future. We're gonna have to, even in that model, we know we're gonna have to work in a contested environment. I mean, we all knew what happened in Ukraine when Starlink was jammed, right? To be expected. But we also saw how industry came together so fast, and in this case, SpaceX, to fix the problem. In hours, not days, months, or years, but in hours, we were able to fix the problem. And this is, again, us working with a pretty, you know, sophisticated adversary. And so, uh, so that, is the, that is the environment that we're gonna have to support in that, in that uh, contested environment. But tremendous potential, um, because one of the struggles that we've had when we deploy to these tactical edge, the, to the tactical edge, is taking a bunch of hardware with us when we go, right? So, so that is not making us expeditionary. When the 82nd deploys, and they do this in hours, right, and you saw how rapidly, you know, they got deployed, um, you know, to Poland, um, you know, six weeks ago. If you're gonna be carrying around a whole bunch of infrastructure with you and server stacks and, and miles and miles of cabling, you can just imagine, you know, how cumbersome that is, right? So, so it really helps, it, it hurts our maneuverability you know, when we are stuck to uh, tactical server infrastructure that we need to take with us. So this is where, again, you know, getting to that low form factor devices that's connected back to the cloud, you know, being able to establish connectivity through Leo and Mio in minutes rather than hours and days is a huge game changer. And we've been able to validate that, like I said, most recently um, here in Europe. So we also showed that, you know, when, when we do lose connectivity um, in our traditional tactical infrastructure, that cloud and the commercial transport actually gives, gives us much greater resiliency than even the infrastructure that we thought was pretty resilient that we owned, right? So that, that, again, so that's a huge, huge eye-opener because we always thought, hey, what we build and what we own and what we deploy is far more superior you know, when it comes to supporting the warfighter than what's commercially available. Quite honestly, that's not true anymore, right? So we've been able to show that we, you know, you know we can quickly bring up AFATIDS, which is our fire's command and control system in the cloud, and we use that <clears throat> in Europe. We were able to show <clears throat> how we can rapidly bring up our command post computing environment, which is what, you know, commanders use for mission command in the cloud and leverage that in Europe rapidly. So, so again, for anybody that told us two years ago, if anybody told me two years ago, they said, hey, you know, you'll never move any tactical application to the cloud, it's gotta be like your traditional business systems, your financial systems, your HR systems. Well, guess what? We've already shown that we can now move these tactical applications to the cloud in forward deployed locations in the hands of the warfighter now, today. That's real. And so that's a huge game changer. And then finally, the fourth tier to this is really about you know, getting to a completely dismounted soldier cloud capability, right? So now the soldiers off of the striker or the Humvee, they don't have access to the comms box, you know, that's, uh, that's sitting on their vehicle, and now they're out, um, um, you know, out, out there. And, and what we are now working with is capabilities like IVAS. So if you don't know what IVAS is, this is our implementation of the HoloLens technology from Microsoft. This is the uh, integrated visual augmentation system. Right, so, so we're now using VR goggles that feeds data from all kinds of data sources in there, is able to do 
you know, not only give the soldier full situational awareness, but also be able to communicate back to their units, call for fires, and be able to serve as a sensor to send information back um, to home camp, right? And when you can do that, guess what? Now you're gonna need, you know, AI capability at the edge to be able to do things like target recognition, you know, and so on and so forth. And so there's now a requirement for that kind of compute capacity for the dismounted soldier. And that, again, is part of IVAS, NetWarrior, and all these other programs that are currently under implementation. Many of them are under prototype right now. They're getting developed. But as you can see, our cloud infrastructure extends all the way from CONUS down to the individual dismounted soldier out, the, out there, right? And that, so to us, that's how we're operational in cloud. So along the way, a couple of things that we don't want to lose track of. One is, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about infrastructure as a service here, but software as a service. Let's not forget that's cloud as well. And we have shown most recently through our implementation of Army 365, which is our Office 365 implementation, that we can get to running the operations of the Army in a SaaS environment globally, globally. And, you know, there were a lot of naysayers that said, hey, you know, this is never going to work. This is a Konos-based SaaS offering, never going to work in Korea. Well, two weeks ago, I was in Korea, and I was able to get into my Army 365 like I was here at home, right? And, and so that is how we're, we're optimizing our transport. We're optimizing the infrastructure to make sure that we can indeed deliver cloud-based services from Konos anywhere in the world globally. So again, huge, huge part of how we're, we're, uh, we're transforming. And then virtual desktop, this is important because when we talk about virtual desktop infrastructure, this is how we're gonna access the cloud you know, through a, you know, a thin client or a zero client in, you know, environment. And we're on this journey here where we wanna get rid of all the clunky you know, infrastructure we need uh, and government, government furnished equipment to be able to access the cloud. And if you really wanna truly make cloud ubiquitous and easy to access, we got to make sure we implement VDI. So, so we're on a, on a path now of going to um, super first on VDI. That's for all our classified stuff. We're on a path to extend that to 150,000 users worldwide. So that's all of our super users. And then we're also on a journey now to implement virtual desktop infrastructure for all our unclassified users. So I fully expect that in the next two to three years, we'll be 100% virtual desktop infrastructure for unclassified and classified across the Army. Along with that, we want to make sure we're improving user experience. So this is where things like bring your own device and other te technologies go hand in hand. Because if you truly want to make this easy for the warfighter, we got to make sure we give them the right tools in their hands to improve that user experience. So, so again, a huge game changer there. So, <clears throat> so with that, I'm, you know, I'm going to pause here. I think, so this is the journey we're on. This is the, uh, this is the vision. I'd say we're probably about halfway there already. So, you know, if you, if you want to look at this as a, as a, as a three-step process, we're probably, we're, we're completed first step. We're halfway through the second, second phase. The third phase truly is scaling this across the Army. Um, excellent work being done by all of our divisions and cores across the Army. So what we have done is we don't want to turn cloud implementation to just be a headquarters um, type implementation. We really truly want to democratize this. So I have empowered all our divisions and cores to be able to go out, experiment, make this part of how they are learning to transform digitally. Our experimentation efforts like Project Convergence, our Defender exercises, our Warfighter exercises, Scarlet Dragon from the 82nd, 
all of these exercises now fully integrate uh, these technologies into, um, into, into their experimentation and how they're changing doctrine and how they fight in future. So, so I'm truly, truly honored to be part of this transformation for this army. We have a long way to go, but I honestly believe that we're on a path that, you know, that uh, is irreversible at this time. It is truly an imperative. There is no other way we can win a future fight if we don't, if, if we don't you know, we're, we're not successful with this, with this path that we're on. The Chief Information Officer of the Army, Raj Iyer, at the VMware Public Sector Innovation Summit. You can find a link to watch the video of his entire presentation in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows. When you subscribe, it'll come straight to your phone or whatever other device you get your podcasts on. And if you really like the show, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps more people find the Daily Scoop podcast. Satellite technology is the latest area the National Institute of Standards and Technology is providing cyber guidance for. Its publication, Satellite Ground Segment Applying the Cybersecurity Framework to Assure Satellite Command and Control, is out this week. Kevin Stein is Chief of the Applied Cybersecurity Division at NIST. The VMware Public Sector Innovation Summit, he says, providing trust is one of the core elements of NIST's cyber mission. From the fundamental and applied research all the way through to those things that are really a transition to practice. How do you get those things that have been developed kind of over the fence into the hands of the practitioners that can be applied in real meaningful ways? And that solid foundation of trust, you know, very much provides that platform on which you know, enhanced mission delivery, in which innovation, and really that increased global competitiveness uh, can occur. So it's really the anchor for all of our work. And we've been in this space for about 50 years now. Actually, this year is 50th anniversary, you know, going back to the early 1970s when we were working with the financial sector and companies like IBM to work on kind of the first commercial grade or non-military uh, cryptographic algorithms, at that time data encryption standard. And we've certainly seen a lot change over the years in terms of the threat landscape, in terms of the technologies that have evolved and the way we use and share information and data. But I think the commonality for us is that notion, that commitment to trust, you know, across the board. And I think when I think back over the last year, and again, you know, we, we've been doing this for 50 years, but I, you know, my, my mind goes to you know, the things that we've done over the last year and the foundation that those we believe are providing or are going to provide in terms of greater trust. You know, in some ways, I, I look, think back on the executive order that was issued just about a year ago today that affected and really drove a lot of our agenda at NIST over the last year, and certainly that of probably many of you in this, in this room, both on the government side as well as on the industry side, that that notion of trust and confidence is really an overarching theme in the executive order, um, and has really driven or amplified a lot of the work that we've all done over the last year. But again, this is very much just a starting point. And I think when, when I think back on the executive order, it had a very ambitious but a very achievable agenda, um, which was key. And I think that common theme of trust and confidence that we have in our digital infrastructure, and that theme is you really see it sprinkled throughout everything within the executive order. I think even more recently, there's been a lot of discussion around, you know, trust and kind of confidence building mechanisms in the technology. As we are producing technologies, the technology producers, as you're producing those, how can you reflect and express that degree of trustworthiness of your products and the development processes that you've used 
to the organizations that are acquiring those. So producers helping acquirers understand how trustworthy your products and technologies and your services are. Really helping to build that confidence throughout your entire supply chain. Again, working back towards that uh, common foundation of trust. You know, certainly our responsibilities over the last year have been around trust and confidence in the software supply chain, understanding the security of the software supply chain, uh, taking a look at that from software that may be kind of, you know, on-prem kind of traditional software or software that's really, you know, a service, and, and understanding the different mechanisms that we can have in place as a community uh, to help contribute to those and their trustworthiness. But I think when you think broader than just the software supply chain work, you know, the executive order really talks about, again, trust and confidence in, you know, a lot of the, the other capabilities. It's, you know, surprised we've made it, uh, you know, eight minutes or so without, you know, me mentioning zero trust, but zero trust and a greater migration towards zero trust and cloud and use of multi-factor authentication and, uh, you know, encryption and those types of things are certainly built in throughout. And I think all of those areas really align with a lot of the, the general themes of today's event. I think from a, I mean, it's, it's hard again to talk about cultivating trust without actually talking about zero trust. And that, that pairing of zero trust in cloud and multi-cloud environments is key. I think when we think about, you know, the, you know, more cloud computing, more mobile device use, you know, more IoT devices or, or internet of many different things, uh, devices have really dissolved those conventional network boundaries. Our workforce is more distributed. Certainly the pandemic uh, forced that, but I think in some ways it also helped to accelerate that trend that we were likely going to be on. We've seen in some other sectors, and certainly I think that's a trend that we're going to continue to see accelerated. So organizations have to really evolve to be able to provide that secure access to company resources from any location to any asset, you know, protect those interactions with your business partners, for example. So I think organizations are really rethinking the conventional network security perimeter. And I think when I think about you know, zero trust, it really does help to address by focusing on protecting the resources, protecting you know, the assets, not just from the perimeter perspective, but really because that perimeter is no longer as, as uh, kind of relevant in that context. It's really focusing on the asset and the value of that asset and how to best control and protect access to those. Very much that it, when I think about kind of unpacking that zero trust cybersecurity approach, it really is taking a lot of those longstanding principles and capabilities that we've talked about for decades, identity and access management, logging, you know, even encryption, some of the other capabilities. It's really kind of repackaging those and viewing those through the lens of kind of a slightly different approach or paradigm. And this really requires capabilities like device health attestation, data level protections, you know, a, a more robust identity architecture, you know, micro segmentation, those types of things. You know, different zones around your, your, um, your digital resources. And I think a question we get frequently is, you know, how do organizations design for zero trust? And I think that's a challenge we're, we're all, you know, working on. I mean, certainly from our perspective, we're working with many industry collaborators, including VMware, and I'm sure many others that are in this room today, you know, at our National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence. Uh, we don't always pick the names of the programs we run. Uh, this one was given to us by Congress, but uh, we're thrilled to have it. Um, where we're working with our industry collaborators to really help build really standards-based example implementations or demonstrations or blueprints of 
zero trust architectures in different use cases or scenarios, whether it's a telework use case or you know, a, you know, a, a, an on-prem uh, capability, a multi-cloud environment. So a lot of the, you know, how do we practically apply the standards and demonstrate how they can be used, how real technologies and services can be used and apply those in context uh, of this environment. I think trust in, in multi-cloud, again, that need for trust really does extend to the cloud provider or multiple cloud providers in your architectures and all the ones that we use and the cloud services that we access. So when we think about multi-cloud environments, there are certainly benefits. I think we talked about some already, the agility, the scalability, cybersecurity. There's certainly opportunities to kind of wrap this under kind of your broader enterprise risk management activities. But, it, but it's important to prepare. And from our perspective, you know, there's, there's a few things that I think, and, and you'll probably touch on these over the course of the day, um, you know, certainly having a multi-cloud strategy, you know, really to help take full advantage of the multi-cloud services and capabilities that are there. And I think, I think it was Mike that said that earlier, um, is that, you know, organizations probably aren't even scratching the surface in many ways on all the capabilities that are available to them to help them better deliver their mission and their business objectives. So it's crucial that organizations have that strategy and that roadmap that would take into account, you know, how to leverage cloud-native applications, you know, open-source technologies, you know, things along those lines. And I think that strategy should include really be anchored in your business requirements, uh, the security capabilities that are going to better help to protect uh, the data and the information and the things that your business processes are reliant upon, you know, regardless of where they reside or how they're being processed. And having that greater control and visibility of the data and the accesses to that data and the way you're doing that. And making sure that a workforce is trained and, and is capable of taking full advantage of the cloud as well in, in this multi-cloud environment. I think preparing the workforce is critically important as well. I think having that agility is important to take advantage of the cloud and the multi-cloud technology and the practices. But it's going to require in some ways, you know, kind of breaking down of those silos between different organizational teams, whether it's your business process owners or your developers or your security folks or your IT operations, dot, 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 that list will go on and on, you know, really to help change that culture and bring together those multidisciplinary teams with security being a very integral part of that, but certainly a, a supportive and an enabling function as opposed to, you know, potentially a barrier. Um, I think ha having, you know, helping your staff to evolve, you know, through training and reskilling to take advantage of the cloud methodologies and those types of services, but also that workforce retooling to support those business processes and the mission outcome as opposed to, say, the traditional infrastructure maintenance and support activities around power and cooling and facility and those types of things. And I think on the process side, Certainly having consistent, traceable, and repeatable processes is key. You know, I think in the, in the digital economy, every organization is a software organization. That's really a reality. Um, so automation and orchestration are going to be very, very important along, across the different cloud environments, multi-cloud environments, and, and the, the cloud services that you're taking advantage of. But I think from a security perspective as well, kind of helping to decouple the implementation from the desired outcomes. There could be different ways to achieve the outcomes, different implementations that will help you achieve your security and your mission and your business outcomes that, that are uh, so critically important. So having that decoupling and that flexibility of implementation and that agility is, is uh, extremely important as well. But I think at a much higher level, kind of integrating this into your broader cybersecurity and really enterprise risk management activities is key. You know, consistent security outcomes across your different cloud 
you know, uh, environments, uh, certainly the implementations can be different, but ultimately achieving those outcomes is what's really important across the different cloud and really your application spaces. You know, you're having that you know, flexibility in, in how you would achieve those implementations or those security mechanisms through different implementations. I think building in those zero trust principles throughout the entire process is critically important as well. And I think it's also important not just to prepare to protect your data, your information, your services, uh, but also be prepared to detect, respond, and recover when things do go bad so that you can have that resilient infrastructure, that you can have that resilient business, uh, those resilient business processes, you know, regardless of where your data and, and your information reside. And I think doing all those, again, through that lens of a risk-based approach with, you know, that is consistent with the different rules and regulations, the different policies, the different you know, priorities that you have for your organization or the sectors uh, that you're supporting. And I think that risk management approach is key, and I, I, it wouldn't be you know, good of me if I didn't have a shameless plug at the end that we are seeking your feedback. Um, I think one of the, the, that thread of risk management is essential to everything that we do in this, and I think we really try to you know, live and breathe that and espouse that through all the resources that we produce, because we really believe that given the, the unique nature, your, your business, your mission processes, uh, your threat tolerances, uh, you know, those types of things are critically important to make each of our organizations have a slightly different perspective on cybersecurity, so that idea of risk management is critically important. And while we have that thread pulled throughout all our resources, we always are interested in feedback to help improve the things that we produce and provide to help you better manage risk in the context of your missions and business objectives so that we can equip you with the tools that will make it a, an easier thing for you to do. Um, so we do have a request for information out right now. It, it's focused in a few different areas, I'd say primarily on improving the cybersecurity framework. We've been thrilled to see you know, increased uptake you know, broadly in industry, as well as across government at all different levels and internationally as well. Uh, so if you have an opportunity over the next, uh, I think, 11 days to take a look at that and provide us some feedback, uh, not just on the framework, but our full suite of resources so that we can make sure that those are most relevant and responsive to your needs as organizations and sectors. Uh, we'd be uh, thrilled to have that. The Chief of the Applied Cybersecurity Division at NIST, Kevin Stein, at the VMware Public Sector Innovation Summit. You can find a link to watch the video of his speech and the rest of the program in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Digital transformation at the Defense Logistics Agency is on Monday's Daily Scoop podcast. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening.